Blog Talk Radio. Starting now. We look at Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast and Radio Extravaganza. Uh, Brought to you for the last time uh, by Blog Talk Radio. We've been doing this now for 23 episodes. Uh, And uh, we are, we're not going off the air, brothers. We're going back to the old format. Remember that great sound quality we used to have back in the day? Uh, pristine, when it sound- <laughs> pristine, <laughs> beautiful, when it, pristine sound. When it sounded like Sorry. we were in a studio because we were uh, actually talking to each other, and even though Aaron wasn't physically present in the room, he was recording in a studio of his own, and we were connected via Skype, and oh, it was wonderful back then. We're going back there, yes. So, uh, progress isn't always improvement, so we have... We have experimented with this uh, this platform, and we'll continue to keep a presence here on Blog Talk Radio for a while until people, everybody gets the news uh, that uh, you know that they get us just through iTunes. But uh, in the meantime, hey, let's enjoy the uh, static. Uh, let's enjoy the uh, lousy sound quality. And. Um, Aaron, how I, I, we do have our. Uh, I'm your host, by the way, uh, Nate Larkin here in Franklin, Tennessee, and our co-host from the left coast just woke up minutes ago in San Luis Obispo, California. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. must yeah must be nice to sleep that late, Aaron. Yeah, especially when you've gone to bed at five thirty in the morning. Oh, uh, so, so I got a couple hours of sleep, but it's okay. I'm yeah. here. I just grabbed a, a big pot of my leftover smoked beef brisket from yesterday. Good 12-hour smoke. So Ooh. I'm enjoying some uh, saucy fingers right now. I don't do coffee. It doesn't wake me up. But I thought maybe some smoked beef would wake me up. Oh, That's what I shoot for. Man. I do have to tell you, uh, the best tri-tip. Uh, of course, the first tri-tip I ever had, I, I tasted right there in San Luis Obispo. And I've never, I've been back several times. To be honest, I've actually gone to San Luis Obispo only to have tri-tip. Um, yeah, you guys know how to do it up there. Wait, wait, you do know I live in San Luis Obispo. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I've been there several times and haven't even called you. I just went for the tri-tip and the firestorm. <laughs> uh, you know what? What's so sad about you saying that is just yesterday I was thinking of you and downloaded three different Santa Maria-style tri-tip recipes because I know you you experimented once and I didn't have the specific recipe. And just yesterday, downloaded three of them for you. Did you really? Okay. Well, then I take back everything I said. I come (laughs) only to see you, Aaron. And uh, the the tri-tip is merely the icing on the cake. All right. 
yeah, you're the how's it going in the Larkin house? Oh man, it couldn't be better here. Uh, it's wonderful. The sun is out in more ways than one. Allie is uh, Allie is just doing so well these days. We're we're grateful to have experienced God's presence through the the trial of cancer and cancer treatment, and now to see the good that God uh, has has brought out of the experience it's amazing really life is different for us in so many ways and better in so many ways and one of the most exciting Aaron you know how Allie has resisted for years uh talking to women yeah uh, right uh right. You, you, you you managed to coax her onto uh an episode of the podcast a few years ago but aside from that, she's kept a very low profile. Even when she travels with me, she stays in the hotel and kind of hides out there. And uh, so, you know, she has been willing to meet with women one-on-one on our front porch, kind of like, you know, on, but has resisted doing anything else. Well, when she was at pretty much the darkest point during this treatment, and she, neither she nor I had much confidence that she was even going to survive, she did tell God that if he let her live, she would talk to the women. And uh, <laughs> so, she doesn't want to talk to me because I'll talk her out of making deals with gods and uh, <laughs> and let her off the hook. So I don't want to talk to her right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so anyway, that's we've got <laughs> we've got an invitation in just a couple of weeks, uh, a little less than two weeks from from today. We'll be at Covenant Seminary for a couple of days in St. Louis. Uh, Missouri, and um, and she's agreed. She's not going to do a presentation, but she'll be with me. And she's not going to hide out in the hotel. She'll come with me uh, uh, to the seminary, and then she, we'll do uh, we'll do sessions, uh, mixed gender sessions. I mean, we'll have couples there, and then she'll participate with me in uh, question and answer session, uh, which is I mean that's just huge. That's unbelievable. Wow, that is. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know what? If if we hadn't walked the path that we were forced to walk this year, she wouldn't be there. And she's actually excited about doing it. That's a beautiful wow. thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we'll have to have her on the show after she does this. Yeah, okay, sure. In fact, I was just talking as well with uh, last night with a fellow from uh, Grenada Presbyterian Church in Miami. And uh, I'm scheduled to go down there in February, I think. And he said, I don't suppose there's any chance that maybe Allie would come with you and possibly some of the women could talk with her? I said, you know what? I think there's a chance. So, yeah, it's about to change. That's cool. How about wow. you, Aaron? What, 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 what's new out there in Porterland? You know, uh I have no idea right now. No. <laughs> no, it's it's uh we were walking through some hard stuff. Uh just uh stuff I can't talk about. I'm even trying to figure yeah. out how to phrase it there. Some yeah, yeah, some yeah. work stuff. And yeah. it was I think it's moving towards resolution. We had some good uh face to face conversations and you know, it just feels good when stuff happens that divides people. Yeah. To be able to take those steps towards reconciliation, even when it's not going to be resolved in a win-loss kind of way, that yeah, yeah, yeah. one group is not going to win. 
which always makes it hard to do those face-to-face situations. Yeah. If one party's yeah. just wrong, even yeah. if it's me, I, yeah. I don't mind doing it. But, man, when you know, it's just going to be, you know, more battles. That's not fun. But yeah. I'm reminded of how important those conversations are. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. It's given me that encouragement. I'm I'm having a really sweet time with Jenny, which helps all the world feel sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're not avoiding conflict. You're not uh, you're not inviting conflict, but you're not running from it either. And uh, stepping into it. Hey, you know, I had a great experience last weekend. I was up in in Quebec, in French Canada. Uh, oh, it's Promise Keeper Week. Promise yeah. Keeper Week for you. All right. And it, How'd it, it go? Was, it was awesome. It was great. Uh, a nice full house, about 600 guys there. Um, they actually gave me two sessions. I had the entire morning on Saturday. And uh, wow. sp- speaking through an interpreter, uh, very well received. This is... Turns out it's, uh, from what I gather, the largest evangelical ch- French church in the world, and they've got a they've got a, a big presence on the web. They get about a hundred thousand downloads a week on their ser- on their services. A hundred thousand? Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And so they were they're excited to webcast uh, my sessions. So how cool is that? The opportunity, you know, so I talked to 600 guys in a room, but uh, I get a chance to influence that many people in an entirely different language group on a global scale. How cool is that? Wow. So can our listeners uh, check that out? I'm sure they can, but I don't know where. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's it's V Nouvelle, at New Way. Uh, church in in okay, Longway, Quebec. Okay, uh, I took two years of French, and I know that the spelling of any word is not how it sounds. Oh yeah, so, yeah right. How, how would you spell Nouvelle? N o u v e l l e, and I, that's probably it's probably not spell. I, I I don't know. They probably pronounce it Nouvelle or something. I don't. Know. <laughs> uh, oh man. I, I really only know how to say inappropriate things in French at this point since my best yeah. friend was French. That's the only reason I took French. So I forgot all the real stuff. I can say yeah. the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag in French because our teacher, we had a first period when everybody stands up and says the pledge in high school. They probably don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she had to do it in French for two years. How inappropriate right. is our patriotic moment of the day being <laughs> translated into another language? So my the only use for my French is I can cuss people out, I can say derogatory terms, and if I'm ever a French POW, uh, I can claim my allegiance. That's it. all I got. I moved over to Spanish and tutored pretty girls within the first year. It was so much easier than French. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'll tell you, they had a great worship band at this event, and um, and they had, it was a very media-savvy church, and so they, they have, they, on the screens way above the the platform they they had the words they projected the words all the songs were in french but they they projected them onto the screen which did you absolutely okay. no good because what they were saying did not i mean when i read it it didn't sound like what they were singing i mean that it, it was unbelievable <laughs> unbelievable so they, 
so they were in rapt worship, but the words were like, there's a Taco Bell three blocks up on the right, and you weren't feeling it. It got, it got lost in translation there. And we know. wonder why there's so many versions of the Bible. That's right. That's right. Hey, translation is uh, important. We're without Let's get you know, over. Uh, we're without Let's get you. over to our meeting. Sorry, our we meeting. keep jumping in on top of each other. Yeah, but yeah, I want yeah. us to bring in our guest. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we got a guest, uh, a great guest. We've got a, we've got a Samson guy who both of us got to meet three years ago when he came out to that monster mutant Forty Eight Hours of Frankness that you organized. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, and Roland and I are also Facebook friends, and uh, so so I get some some nice messages from him. So we yeah yeah. We are, we're we're beyond Samson friends. We're Facebook. Yeah, the whole uh, the whole next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you think. I'm glad you think the messages are nice, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and unless you think you're really special, Aaron, I am Facebook friends with Raleigh as well. <laughs> well, I need some proof of that, but all right, I will let yeah, yeah. that. And I think right perhaps now. our, our uh, executive producer, uh, Jay Spiegel, is a Facebook friend as well of Raleigh, is he? Jay, are you with us? I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. See, I, 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 know, I, I know you're a friend. You, I don't see why you need to throw bricks in my pockets when I'm treading water, but okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, hey, Aaron, you're the only left coasty brother that I have in, on this current conversation, so, so you're good, man. You're good. Okay. Yeah, what, what can you do with that, Larkin? What can you do with that? <laughs> All right, good leader. All right. Well, here's what I th- here's what I think we're going to do. We're going to uh, uh, go to a quick break, come back, have a mini meeting. Uh, Raleigh, will you participate with us in the mini meeting? Love to. Good. Okay, good. And then and then we'll interview you. Get to your story. I I know that our listeners are going to love it. All right, all that coming up when we return here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Run into the wind, poor defenseless, he who defends, he ordains our And gives some grace also Press against these times Rob the virtue from the crime Dark these stormy skies Bright in him we rise Sing to love, sing for joy, rest on the sovereign's wing, hold to faith, yield to hope, the liberated sing for joy. Fight until you die 
show. We're going to do a mini-meeting, so we're going to launch right into it. Welcome to this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. We're a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weakness. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own experience and the challenges and the encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Our faith rests in the love of God as it's revealed in His Word and the life of His Son. This is the great fact of the gospel, which is the foundation of our charter. We have now reached our sharing portion. Uh, each man shares out of their own experience and makes sure to save time for everybody else. Today's topic is huh, education. Education? Are you kidding? Not, not kidding. Okay. All right. Education. <laughs> Is the floor open? The floor is open. Sorry, you didn't hear my gavel. No, I... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Nate. 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 Okay, I'll jump in on education. Um, Yeah, I I am uh, one of those guys who's had the benefit of a good education. Uh, a, a public education in uh, pr- you know primary and secondary school, and I, I honestly think it was teachers uh, who really stood in the gap for me when life at home was chaotic. I'm grateful for my upbringing at home and childhood, but there was some stability and perspective that um, those teachers brought that I would not have had otherwise. I remember we moved from one town to another. Uh, before my senior year and there was a teacher so dedicated to us and not wanting to interrupt our education that she actually picked us up at our house every morning and drove us 15 miles to school and brought us home in the evening wow um uh i um you know, I was brought up in a Christian tradition that was highly suspicious of education, uh, one that was uh, anti-intellectual. And so I 
uh, you know, it was a source of endless frustration to my father that I had such a fascination for books and could get lost in them. Um, I was, uh, you know, the the arc of my career, the way it was supposed to run as part of, you know, family destiny was for me to go to this, if I, you know, any edu- the education that, that I was allowed was going to be a Bible school, a three-year Bible school, and then really uh, straight into ministry. And uh, so teachers stepped in and secured for me a, 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 a scholarship, an academic scholarship to college. And, and so there I, you know, encountered this, this big world of education, this of intellectual pursuit. And to be honest, as I look back on it now, I'm kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. I mean, I'm grateful for an education that has made it possible for me to think independently and to express myself fairly clearly. Uh, and I'm, I have a, a fairly decent grasp of what's going on in the wider world so that I'm able to make connections with a pretty broad spectrum of people. For that, I'm grateful. Um, however, somewhere along the line, I did fall prey to uh, the false idea that there really is salvation in education, that somehow I can think my way to the solution of every problem. Um, I placed way too high a value on information and also uh, developed, you know, it's, it's, it's funny now to go back to college or even to seminary and watch people put on their academic personas in order to become somebody. Because I remember doing that. I remember selecting the books I would carry around campus just so that they would be the ones people would notice and comment upon. Um, the ones that I'd bring home with me on those rare occasions when I went home on the weekend. They're really the ones calculated to piss my father off. Those are the ones I carried. Um, I remember in seminary, you know, trying to be the prototypical, I to cultivate the image of a scholar. Now, while I do have some intellectual curiosity and I'm creative, I'm really not much of a scholar. I'm not that studious, uh, but I tried to appear studious uh, and and tried to acquire the uniform. So I did get, uh, I, I got the appropriate hat. Uh, I got the tweed jacket with the patches on the elbows, um, the khakis, the hush puppies. That was a big deal back then. Um, the turtleneck sweater. And um, I tried the pipe. I just never could pull that off. I choked to death. But um, and that uh, I'm not sure uh, that more than education. I think what that really was was um, imitation, identification. Uh, I was trying to take cues from other people as to what I should think, what I should think about, the opinions I should hold, so that I could fit into a group. It was, it was, it was self-directed indoctrination in a way, I guess, uh, influenced certainly by the institution that I was a part of. Um, paradoxically, the probably the finest education I have received. Um, I have received since 
admitting the extent of my addiction, going to help, going for help, and sitting in twelve-step groups with other addicts. And there, from broken people, many, many of them without a college education, no small number of them who, you know, didn't even finish high school, uh, but gathered from them the kind of wisdom uh, that eluded me when I was so obsessed with higher thought, this practical uh, instruction, uh, coaching. And I, I have, uh, and, and I have found, too, that when I finally became willing to join the process and pass on to other people what was being given to me, Rather than rather than than hoarding it, um, I was uh, I have been able to expand my own. It's a, you know I learn best as I quickly pass on what I, what I've been given, and uh, the, as I teach it, I understand it better. Well, um, and that education continues. It's one of the reasons that I love going to Samson meetings because I learn something every time. And it's in this honest sharing of the life lessons that God is teaching us uh, that, you know, may not be sophisticated, uh, but in the end are just so practical and so valuable. So for me, I I used to think that, you know, one of my life goals was to go on and get a Ph.D., um, hopefully from someplace uh, really highly regarded. I've, 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 I've harbored this secret ambition to, you know, at about this time in my life, to go get a Ph.D. from Harvard, just to pin it on the wall. Uh, that ambition is gone. Nothing against Harvard and nothing against Ph.D.s, but I really feel as though uh, this education is the one I want to dig into and the one I, I, I want to pass along. I'll quit there. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Thanks Nate. Well, I'm Aaron. Uh, it's it is good to think about this word education uh, and how deeply personal it really is uh, to absolutely non-educational part of my life. Uh, I I think I think some people are really built by God to go through normal educational Western educational process. I have always felt like I'm not. When I read in Acts chapter 3 of Peter standing before the Sanhedrin and them saying, uh, God saying that they saw that he was untrained and uneducated, uh, but because of what he spoke, they knew he had been with Jesus. That always resonated with my heart. But uh, being a pastor, I was asked to uh, participate in some education. Well, I did, but I have no connection to it and actually did a really sloppy job uh, via uh, correspondence to get a degree that I then folded up and put in my pocket just to bring out as a conversation piece and make jokes about. Uh, I thought I would actually use my degree in that way. And part of that was how God built me, and part of it, was my strong anti-establishment <laughs> idealism streak, 
which is also how God made me, but can be how my flesh uh, mm. keeps people off balance. But what I've found is that I'm really grateful for, when I think of education, I actually feel really grateful to people. I think of a Reformed Episcopal pastor when I was in high school. It was sit me down and, and offer me a beer, and I was never sure if it was a test, so I never took it. And uh, we would smoke cigars together, and he taught me uh, Burkhoff's systematic theology, which was so dear to his heart. And I think of uh, the people I've worked with that taught me so much and put me on a path to really ask God to be my teacher often through relationships. And at this point in my life, uh, probably half my work time is spent uh, coaching people through the gospel and through our soul, soul architecture center. And I so deeply learn. I mean, I get to spend all week doing nothing but talking about the gospel and how it fits into the nooks and crannies of people's lives that are so different, just absolutely God's tapestry of creation. And I go into some of those meetings, if I have four hour and a half meetings in one day, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do number three. I don't want to do number four. But once I get into the conversation, I am so energized by those people's stories and getting to stay at the most basic root place of my own faith that I find I'm educated all week by the body of Christ. Mm. And I just feel really grateful for that. That's all I have to say about that. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Hey, I'm Raleigh. Hi, Raleigh. Hey, Raleigh. Can I just say how difficult it is for me to keep my mouth shut while you guys are talking because I'm always <laughs> part of these meetings during my commute to work and I'm just Talking right back at the top of my lungs while you guys are sharing. This is <laughs> hey, hey, watch, watch the watch the cross talk during sharing time. Exactly. Well, it, it's yeah. safe but anyway. In my car, it's safe. But anyway, you know, I, Nate, I think I'm a lot like you. In, I'm sitting here in my office looking at a bookcase of books that just have meant so much to me in coming to know God more, coming to understand myself more, coming to understand other people, education, and reading and understanding in my head has always been a big part of who I am. Um, and something I just actually realized this morning was just another one of the ways that God has worked to get the education to my heart. That's been the hard part for me, um, getting mm-hmm. it about 18 inches from my head to my heart. And I, one of the things I was doing to prepare for our conversation was looking back through my journaling, looking back through some of the blogging that I did on the Samson website, um, and something just jumped out glaring to me, and it was this, it was this void. It was like a four-year void in journaling and in activity and different things, and and it struck me how miserable I felt during those four years. It was a time of a lot of pain. Mm. I'd started into some recovery, and I was really seeking to understand the whys, the the hows and the whys of why my life was the way it was. And now that I look back on it, my wife and I sat and talked about it this morning, um, I can see that God was calling me and her, calling us to himself to heal that relationship first before he granted me the ability to step into community and brotherhood of men and take my healing to that next step. And before I ever understood in my mind the how and the why, 
he wanted to show me the who, which was him, and help me regain my trust of him. And, and so I think, and I'm starting to see a pattern, it's in the pain, in the loss, in the silence, um, in the times when I don't know what's happening, that God has done his greatest education of my heart. And that's been the hardest education for me to learn, but it's also something I really starting to learn how to cherish. So that's, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm Raleigh. Thanks, Raleigh. Thanks, Raleigh. Uh, I'm Jay. Hey, Jay. Jay. Uh, education, and there are two uh, threads uh, to this topic that, uh, that were hitting me. Uh, the first is I, I consider my career, and I consider uh, having, having kind of uh, slid into it. Um, I'm 48 years old, and I, um, other than two years right out of college, I have been at an educational institution either as a student or as an employee my entire life. And I got to think, why is that? Is there security in it? Is there is there some some need that I'm fulfilling by by continuing to be here? Um, one one of those needs is, is certainly there, a benefit that I receive through my employer is that I can uh, I can cover a, a huge amount of cost for educating my kids. I have three kids, so if I do the math, I've got at least another uh, 11, uh, 10 years here. Um, uh, another thing about education is is that you know, my oldest daughter uh, is. Uh, is returning to returning home for her fall break today, and she, she's bringing her roommate. And as a result, uh, my uh, my wife and I uh, spent a good bit of time the last couple of days cleaning out our bonus room, which um, had turned into a junk room, mm-hmm. uh, throwing out old TVs, old computers, uh, just junk, a whole bunch of boxes that I had shipped to me when my mother passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, I, I think in, in terms of the, the this, is, this is the room where I stayed in, in the first year and a half of recovery and after disclosing um, uh, my sin to my wife. And I found a stack of books that uh, became very dear to me in those initial months, first couple of years. And uh, they were the... Uh, they were one of the spokes to the wheel of my re-education or, or correct mm. education in, uh, in, the, in the grace and in the gospel of Christ. Um, I, I, found, I found a devotional Bible that I used to, to read through um, in that first year, and I, I saw all the marks that I made, the notes, and it was, it was a comforting feeling to uh, come across that Bible in particular as well as all of those books that I really hadn't seen in, in quite some time because I just was kind of, to tell you the truth, scared to go into that room. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the room is cleaned out now. It, it's ready for, for a house guest and will actually be um, the, the first house guest other than, than kids' sleepovers um, that, uh, that we've had um in in many many years and and that's a nice feeling um you know i i uh 
in the share and in the meeting the other day, one man said something about not having had someone uh, over to uh, over to dinner in his house, not a single guest, and, and, and we're very much the same, but we're moving towards having having a home full of hospitality and warmth mm-hmm. and smiles mm-hmm. and laughter, and um, uh, I think education has, has made that possible for me, both in, in my spiritual education as well as in having a stable place to work, um, so that's what I have. I'm Jay. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Jack. All right. Well, there it is. There's your mini meeting. And we'll be back in just a minute with our conversation with Raleigh Clough. So hang on. Well, I'm up and I'm down and I'm all around, but I'm okay if you ask me because we don't really take the time to care like we could. I could trip, I could fall, you won't know it all Cause your busyness is blinded We don't really have the time To love like we should And it always goes back down To the way that we love And it always goes back down Okay, we are back with today's guest, joining us from Medford, Oregon, Raleigh Clough. Welcome, Raleigh. Thanks, Nate. Yeah. Now, wait. Now, Raleigh, you live in Medford now, but you were born in what what city? I was born in Walla Walla. Yes, Walla Walla, Uh, Washington. I was was just (laughs) saying she didn't make that up. That's a real (laughs) place. It's a real, genuine place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. Running around. We're at a <laughs> yeah, we're the cartoon Australian Aborigines because it sounds <laughs> like a great name in the middle of Australia. There's actually a Walla Walla Australia, and I and I've been nearby there too. Oh well, wow! There you go. So I'm There's not crazy. No, not completely. You, you're waking up, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're still crazy. You're just not mistaken about this. Um, <laughs> So, so Raleigh, what was what was life like growing up in Walla Walla? Um, you know, 
Walla Walla was a place where I learned very early on to put on heavy masks. Um, mm. When I was really young, my my life was really marked with a lot of isolation. It's taken decades for God to pull me out of isolation. Mm. So I grew up. I grew up in a Walla Walla is actually a very religious town. There is. I'm a member of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. There's a Seventh Day Adventist University there. Um, mm-hmm. My parents were involved in edu- Christian educational institutions there. Um, so we, it was important for us to keep a good face on and a good front on. But when I was little, there was a lot. Our public persona was different from our at-home persona. There was a lot of mm-hmm. anger, a lot of violence in our home um, mm. to my parents. Um, and, and my coping strategy was to isolate, was to run off to my room and hide and, and be apart from all of that. Um, yeah. I, didn't, I wanted to bond with my dad. You know, I wanted to go to him for safety, but my mom had a lot of anger toward him. And I, I still remember all the time growing up, my mom would tell me, don't be like your dad. You know, anything that she didn't like about me, she would say, you're being like your dad. So it became really hard to connect, and he buried himself in his work and stayed away because he felt safer there. So yeah. I felt extremely alone. Um, I was exposed to pornography at a pretty early age, probably around 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and and very quickly, even before the porn, it became it was clear to me that um, that my attraction was more toward men, and mm-hmm. I didn't understand it. Um, I understand a lot more now. But at that point, all, all I knew was that's just all that I knew. That I wanted to be held by somebody strong. I wanted I was drawn to that. Yeah. And I had a lot of shame, a lot of shame, understandably, around that growing up in a Christian home, um, and very quickly developed a lot of anger toward God. Um, because I, from everything I knew, he made me that way, which I don't believe now. But at the time, for him to make me that way, and then for me to read in scripture what you know that that I'm receiving condemnation for that, I just couldn't grapple with the two. So on the outside, I stayed really dutiful and connected in church. I became a worship leader, involved in lots of things. But on the inside, I was just really raging with anger at God. Yeah, um, and you know, didn't didn't know what to do with that. You know, and because I'd already developed the secret life and I had the masks firmly in place, it became easy to just go with that and have a second life, a dark side that mm-hmm. you know that kept driving me. Um, and and the whole God thing even got messed up more because after I got out of high school, I'd experienced I had um, experienced being raped at the hand of an older man my senior year of high school. Um, I had a lot of guilt around that because my mind was telling me that I got it on myself, but I needed to yeah. get away. So I, I joined an interdenominational Christian music ministry, spent nine months on the road completely away from you know my background. Um, but two months into that, we were given a concert in some church in the middle in the Midwest, and I was sent to some church member's home with the male director of our organization, and I. We, we were asked to share a bed, which was fine. That wasn't uncommon. But I woke up in the middle of the night to being, you know, fondled and molested by this older mm-hmm. man who happened to be in a position of spiritual authority over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I freaked out about that, went the next day, reported it to the higher-ups in the organization, and they didn't remove him from his position. They talked to him, to him about it, made sure it didn't happen again, that he wasn't going to be, you know, in a position to do that to anybody, but then asked us all to continue to respect him and abide under his authority because God had him placed him there for mm. the duration of the rest of the tour. So again, I'm angry with God. Now I'm really angry with the church, not trusting of any spiritual authority um, and just grappling with what to do. So the, one of the blessings from that tour was I did develop a, a closer relationship with Jesus. I, I spent time with him, so it was like the father that I was angry with, Jesus I could trust. And mm. I, met this wonderf- I met this wonderful young lady, Sherry, who is now my wife, 
And then we bonded really closely on this tour, spiritually and emotionally. Um, it was easy to connect to her, easy to talk to her. Um, and I, I just was ecstatic coming out of that, that, that maybe I was going to be fixed. Maybe I was going to be cured and healed and not have to deal with this stuff. Three years later, we were married. And I fully expected marriage to just take away all of the struggles, all of the attractions, all of the porn, all of the dark side of stuff that I was dealing with. And, you know, mm. really for about, a, for about a year it did. Um, you know, it was kind of like the pink cloud of recovery. It was my pink cloud of marital bliss and the honeymoon stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it was great. Um, and then I got into grad school, back to education. And life got really stressful and really tough. And she was working long hours and I was studying long hours. And, um, and my porn addiction started to creep back in. And this is pre-internet. So to porn, you had to go mm-hmm. places to find it, you know, stores, adult bookstores, things like that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I stumbled headlong into this world where men are meeting each other for anonymous hookups, for physical hookups. It's not just now, you know, looking at an image on paper. There's actually a person attached to it. Yeah. And it was like it was like you know, crack cocaine to me. One taste of that, and I was just head over heels, falling into this world that I didn't know existed, but it was completely numbing away all the pain that I had. And one mm-hmm. of the things, one of the things that I really struck me about this process was growing up in my faith tradition, one of the things that I was taught as a young boy was that if I'm ever deliberately sinning, stepping outside the will of God for my life, mm-hmm. you know, for example, as a young boy, it was like going to the theater or, you know, something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that my guardian angel would stand on the outside with his arms folded impatiently waiting for me to come out. You know, I'd be outside the will of God. And so God wouldn't be there protecting me. So yeah. I firmly believe that I felt in my heart that when I was in these dark places, and they're always dark, um, I felt like I was Jonah in the bottom of the boat running away from God. I felt like God couldn't see me, couldn't hear me, and the guilt and the condemnation and the anger and everything that I had running around in my head was gone. It was actually my safe zone that I felt like where God couldn't reach me and I could just breathe and be myself while I was just, you know, tearing my soul apart down in this place. Mm. Um, and, and it was really hard for me to grapple with the fact that God was still pursuing me. And one of the things that he showed me, so this, this went on for probably about 12 years in our marriage. Um, yeah. And about 10 years into that, 10, 11 years into that, I was coming back, but now I'm living in Puget Sound, Washington, um, coming back home from an episode at one of these adult arcades. And it's December, it's rainy and a little bit snowy. The freeway's packed and treacherous. And somebody cuts in front of me in a small sports car and clips the backside of a vehicle that's driving in the next lane right in front of me. And that vehicle immediately starts to spin out of control and roll down the freeway right in front of me. And I'm slamming on my brakes on this wet, slippery surface, but somehow managed to get my vehicle stopped. None of the oncoming traffic behind me hits me. And I, at the moment that that accident started to happen, I was convinced I was a goner. I was convinced, okay, well, this is it. You've been, you know, skating on your own on thin ice for 10 years. You're a goner. And the fact mm-hmm. that I was untouched and nothing would happen to me, I just was, I had to pull off the side of the road and just shake and cry for, you know, 10 minutes mm-hmm. to realize that, okay, somebody's looking out for me, even though I'm purposefully disrespecting God and walking away from him. Mm. So um, around that time, God had led us to uh, to a fellowship in the church where we, my wife and I had actually started to finally connect with some brothers and sisters, we had four or five couples that were similar age to us. We were involved in ministry, doing things together. And one of the things that God did for me around that time was 
convinced me that I needed to ask for help. And I started doing it in very vague ways. So I would submit mm-hmm. a prayer request for personal purity. And I knew what it meant. And some people kind of knew what it meant. But I knew that people were praying for me. Mm-hmm. And I started to... And, and I started to have this shift in my mind. I started to see things a little bit differently. Um, instead of being attracted to this, and I still felt compulsively drawn to it, I started to see the pitiful nature of it. I started to see mm-hmm. the people around me as broken and hurting as I was. Um, mm. And then one the really wonderful thing happened. Within our small group, we'd been meeting and sharing, and one of the other brothers confessed a sin that was really weighing on his heart. And, you know, it was just chewing tobacco. It wasn't even, you know, that big of a deal to me. I was like, really? You're broken up about this? But he was. And it was deeply shameful to him. And he trusted the group enough to be able to confess that. And the group surrounded him and prayed for him and loved on him so much that I was like, wow, maybe I could have that if I could confess, if I could be brave enough to confess mm-hmm. what's been going on. So um, so this day, this like sticks in my mind, and I, I consider my wife and I consider it my Independence Day because it was Independence Day, um, 2003, so just 10 years ago. We were gathered with a group of our friends talking late into the evening after the fireworks, just about spiritual stuff and relationship stuff and life stuff. And I asked my wife and I will know, I said, hey, I need to, I need to confess to these guys. I need to ask for a prayer. And she said, go ahead. So I did. I confessed the nature of my attractions. I confessed my porn addiction. I conveniently didn't confess any physical encounters with other people because my wife hadn't known about that yet at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of expected, you know, shock and, and to be excluded from the group at that point. But they just, again, surrounded me and cried with me and prayed over me. And I felt so loved on that it's just God was just pulling me to himself and showing me that, you know, it, it was that there was this freedom. Other people knew, and they loved me anyway. And I, I just didn't even know what to do with that. So mm. about within the next couple months, my, my behaviors just really started to taper off. I started to see things differently. And the nail in the coffin for me, this, this um, was God just showing me beyond the shadow of a doubt that he had me and that he knew me and that he loved me. And this, is the, this was the last time that I was ever in an adult arcade. I'd walked in one night to get my regular fix, walked into this little dark booth. The door's cracked open. I'm waiting for somebody to come in. And the door opens, and another man walks in. Before I have a chance to touch him in any inappropriate way, before I have a chance to put some money in the machine to put a porn movie on, he just grabs me in this bear hug and holds me as tight as he can to him and starts saying gently but firmly in my ear, you came here because you're looking for your father's love. I'm here to tell you that your father loves you. I love wow. you. Your, your father loves you. And I'm just melting in a puddle of snot and tears. And, I mean, he had to hold me physically up for, it must, you know, must have been five or ten minutes because it just shattered my world. It shattered mm. my concept that God couldn't see me, couldn't reach me, that I had outrun him, you know. Mm. Psalm 139 just smacking me in the face. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I hide from your spirit? Nowhere. Mm. If I descend into hell, you are there. And God stepped in through this man, angel, whomever it was, Mm. to reach me in in a way that I didn't even know I needed. I mean, I did know it. I, I had, from my earliest memories of a very young child, I had dreams of a strong man holding me and comforting me because I didn't feel like I ever had that from my dad or from important people in my life. And mm-hmm. here God was giving that to me. And we walked right out of that place together and we prayed together and drove off and I never saw him again. Mm. Wow. And, and so it was just, it, it was a, it was a, actually it was a supernatural wow event and I don't like sharing supernatural events because 
so often supernatural events are then followed in people's testimonies by, and my life was perfect after that, and I never mm-hmm. sinned again, and, you know, God changed my heart. And he did change my heart, but I was still a broken man, and I was still lost and struggling mm. and didn't know what to do, and I still had this deep, dark secret of what I had been doing for by now 12 years that my wife knew nothing about. Mm. Um, what, I, what I did know was we needed to move. I needed to, if I was going to stop, I needed to be away from the area in the uh, Puget Sound area where I had been engaging in this behavior. So we moved to rural Oregon about 10 years ago. And within six months, I just knew my heart was telling me I need to confess to my wife. Mm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I was pretty naive and not inexperienced in that. I was not connected to any group of men or any recovery group. I had no mm-hmm. wisdom speaking into me. So I, I laid it all out. I answered every graphic detail question she had, mm. um, and it just, it shattered her heart. And, you know, she she left for a while. She did come back, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the grace that God showed me through her because she told me that while she was away talking to friends about the pain that she was in, she realized that she could see in me a wounded young boy and that I wasn't doing anything that I was doing to harm her. I was doing it because it was the only way I had found to try to to meet some of the needs that I felt that I had. And she mm. said, I've been so kind and loving to her. How could she betray me? So she came back to show me God's love and grace and forgiveness. Um, and I, I hooked up with an online recovery ministry. It was, I think, Setting Captives Free that really helped mm-hmm. me process some of my stuff and start to get away from that. And I started to try to plug in to men's groups and local churches where I was at. Um, and this was kind of the beginning of that, you know, four years of silence and pain and suffering um, from God because it was really unsuccessful. I, I wasn't plugging in successfully. When I went to try to join men's groups, they were all about externals and behavior and accountability. And mm-hmm. I could just tell, you know, my BS detector was so refined because I was so good at doing it and putting mm-hmm. on masks. I was just seeing through all the masks of the men around me. And I was like, this is such an unhealthy place. What am I doing here? So mm-hmm. I, I couldn't stick it out. We moved um, a couple of years after I had first told my wife to a new town and relatively quickly, I wanted to get engaged with that local congregation. My wife and I went and talked to the pastor there um, about our story, shared some of the nature of our story, and asked if there was a way we could help with recovery stuff, with a men's group, with different things, you know, that we felt like the church could benefit from. And he kind of looked at us funny and didn't really have any ideas, said we could talk about it later. And what was interesting was within the next week or two, the temperature of the church shifted. It got colder. We felt like people weren't talking to us. Um, and and about two months later, a friend of ours who was an elder in the church was at our house for dinner, um, and we'd gone for a hike that afternoon, and she said to us, she said, you know, I need to tell you something, and I've been sworn to secrecy. We're not supposed to speak out of a line of what happens in these elders' meetings, but a couple months ago, the pastor came to us and told us that you'd been caught at work with pornography on your computer and that he thought you were a pedophile, and what were we supposed to do with you? And I was just oh, dumbstruck. Man. Because oh. neither of those things were true, and nothing in my history had anything to do with pedophilia. Um, mm. and, and that night, I ended up running into the pastor at the church because I was, went back to talk to some friends of ours who were there. The pastor showed up, and I, I led into him, which is totally not like me. I'm a peacemaker kind of guy, but you know, I confronted him to his face with what he had said, and he stammered and hemmed and hawed around it and had no answers. I felt good about standing up to him and telling him that, but I walked away, and I walked away from that church, and for a period of months, I felt you know, I, I didn't. I never felt like I was walking away from God because at that point God had been calling me to himself enough that I knew he had me. I, my, my trust in the church at this point was just completely broken. I didn't feel like I could go to anyone that had the label of church on them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and mercifully, God led my wife and I to a congregation with a pastor who was uh, uh, he was a rehabilitation counselor before he became a pastor. He had this great emotionally healthy psychological background, and he just mm-hmm. nurtured us and loved on us, and the congregation just loved on us. And what really happened there was we fell in love with God. I started to see this picture of God where Jesus said, the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It, it just mm. shattered me. I remember just walking on the beach and weeping with the knowledge that I had felt like Jesus was my safe space and God was this angry judge that was out to get me. And when I started to see that God loved me anyway, just the way that Jesus did, and I didn't have to be afraid of him, and that it was him that sent that person to love on me and hold me as the Father, not as my buddy Jesus, it just completely remade my heart so I could trust yeah. him. So now looking back, that's the education my heart needed, you know. I still hadn't yeah, found brotherhood. Yeah. I still hadn't found connection. I still didn't know how to walk, you know, in this community. And and that's where Samson came into my life. That's where finally God said, okay, now you're ready. Because that's when I saw Nate. I saw your I Am Second video. And I, I mean, within seconds I was on the Samson Society website mm. and I was interacting with other men. And within a week or two I started sharing my story um, on, the, on the website. And the responses just blew me away. And all of the, yeah, that's my story too. And, and, and sharing the things that God had shown me and feeling like God was working through me already in the process to help other people. Um, it, was, it was just stunning. We, I lived in, at that point I lived on the Oregon coast, rural, remote. There was nothing like that going on. So I plugged in with five other guys. We formed an online web Samson group. We met every week via web conference and shared our life together for over a year. Um, and it was my lifeline. Those guys are still wonderful friends, and they're all over the world. I mean, we've got guys in Southeast Asia and the Midwest, and the things that God started through that just opened up my heart to him even more and helped me see that I could start to trust the body of Christ um, and and understand what it was to be a man, you know, because I hadn't had that modeled for me, and I really didn't, in my heart of hearts, I didn't believe that I was a man. So to recognize that other men struggle with all sorts of things, you know, really starting to set me free. Um, there was and there was another piece that just really turned the corner for me, too, and it had to do with the podcast, because I started listening right away. Um, you guys, early on in the podcast, you interviewed Thaddeus Hefner, and, you know, he, mm-hmm. his story was a lot like my story, and hearing him talk about that, my wife listened to that with me, and um, it opened her eyes to a lot of things. Like, wow, you know, I, I can understand kind of what you've been going through. And he had said something that changed my life. He said that the thing we all struggle with, and not just same-sex attraction guys, but all men, the thing we, we all struggle with are toxic shame and attachment disorders. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's me. And I can see that that's my brothers who don't even struggle with what I do. At the heart level, we're all the same. You know, we're carrying all this baggage of shame, and it's messing us up, and it's driving us to secret places, and we're having a hard time attaching. We isolate with that, and we don't know how to attach to each other. So that's been my journey since then, of learning how to attach again. So so now we're at the point where Samson just started to explode in my life and just bring all these blessings to me. Um, Where I met you guys, came down to San Luis Obispo in, in early 2010, for the 48 hours of frankness weekend, um, uh, that just that was so blessed. It was huge. It was a monster group, out of hand. But there were so many blessings <laughs> that came through that. Connections that I never would have known. You know, I connected mm-hmm. with a brother cause from out of the area. I flew into San Jose, connected with another brother from the Northwest, who um, 
who shared life with me, and our stories intersected in ways that neither of us ever would have thought. And that was a God thing, to put the three of us, the two of us, in a car for three and a half hours mm. before we even got to the place to be able to share that level of connection. And now he started a Samson group up in Tacoma. So, you know, God has just totally revitalized our lives and put, put us into each other's lives in ways that we never would have thought of. Um, you know, Thaddeus introduced me to the Journey into Manhood project where people can change, you know, and, and I went to one of those weekends, and that just finally, you know, I said I always wanted to know the how and the why of my attraction to what was going on, well, God was like, if I, would have, I think if God would have spoon-fed me the how and the why early on, I would have stayed stuck in my head, and I would have had a rational explanation for everything, um, and, I, and nothing would have changed in my life, really, materially. Um, but having gone through this heart transformation and rubbing elbows with other men and seeing how much I'm like other men, and then being allowed into this place where I start to get the how and the why and the background information on it, I was like, I'm ready for it. I can handle that, and I can recognize that this doesn't have to control me. This doesn't have to be my identity, um, and, and, the, and the, uh, it just turned my life around in that way. And Aaron, I got to say, one of the, another huge blessing that I got from you on the podcast was, was one week where there wasn't a podcast, and you put up a sermon that you preached, and I still remember that sermon vividly. It was called God's Rise Holy, and you talked about um, Isaiah, where he met the Lord, and how when he met God, he just fell on his face said, I'm a, woe is me, I've seen the Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, I come from a people of unclean lips. And God sent the angel to touch his lips with the coal and to heal them and purify him. And the very place of his wounding became the place of his healing, became the place of his calling, his equipping, and his ministry. And it just struck me that that was already starting to happen to me. I never would have believed it possible. But my own wounded sense of masculinity that God had reached down in and grabbed and held and healed, now became scarred that his love and healing was flowing through. And he was calling me to that. He was calling me to reach out and live out as I struggle through the process. My goodness, I'm by no means perfect. I still fall all the time in different ways. But I'm learning. And by being more open and authentic and vulnerable about it, it just shocks me almost on a weekly basis, the things that God does through that. And the, the men who come to me that before, I would have looked at these men and saying, I don't belong with you guys. I'm not as masculine as you are. I don't do the things you do. But to have them come to me for advice or for encouragement and to know that they look up to me in some ways just is it's, it's overwhelming. I don't even know what to do with it. Um, but it's affirmation that God has done that, that he has healed and, and that he is working his grace and healing out for other people through those very places of my brokenness. So that has been another great blessing for me. Um, yeah. Well, there aren't a whole lot of questions to this story because you, you just told <laughs> the most beautiful story I could imagine. <laughs> I, I, I love that at the heart of it, this is your dad, your real dad, pursuing yeah. you no yeah. matter where you went and what your needs were that, he was not just about fixing you. He was about bringing you into his love and giving that <laughs> so many diverse ways through your wife. Yeah. Yeah, your wife is... I love when we meet guests and their wife becomes one of my heroes. Your, yeah. your wife is an amazing woman. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, God gave you that gift. Yeah. He sent you someone in the depths of hell to speak his love to you. Hmm. Yeah. He sent you yeah. brothers 
what an amazing thing that God wants so much more than simple uh, behavioral reformation. He wants our yeah. hearts. That's mm. it. That's what he's chasing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, Nate, do you have anything to add? <laughs> Well, I'm having it. Thank you, uh, Raleigh, for telling the story in such a compelling and beautiful way. And uh, yeah, I'm conscious here the, uh, the time is flying on us, and my connection is pretty tenuous. I trust you can hear me okay. Uh, uh, Raleigh, Lord bless you up there in Medford. There is a Samson group in Medford, isn't there? There is, and they were just instrumental in bringing me into this community. I'm not actively meeting with them right now, but Darren and Mike and the men of Southern Oregon Rogues are awesome, and if you are anywhere near Medford in Southern Oregon and need a healthy place to hook up, talk to me, talk to them. We can get you hooked up with healthy community of brothers. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, you don't have a book to sell. Uh, I don't. You're not on, you're not on, you're not on the celebrity uh, uh uh, you know, merry-go-round. However, if there's somebody listening who really connected with your story and they'd like to reach you, is there a way they can reach you, Raleigh? Well, you know, my Facebook presence is probably the easiest way to reach me, and it's easy to find me. Okay, good. You guys, you have spelled my name correctly on the podcast page, so if you put that in, I yeah. don't think there's anyone else with that name. Um, also, okay. if you're involved at the Samson website, I'm there too. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks, Raleigh, and uh, looking forward to catching up with you the next time I'm in the vicinity of Southern Oregon. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think that's about it for this week's show. It's uh, time really has flown on us. We've got uh, exciting guests coming up for next week, a couple with another great story of redemption. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, And we'll be back in the studio. We will be back high atop the Mellow Mushroom next week uh, to bring you in stellar audio quality the next episode of the Pirate Month Podcast. Until then, we'd love love to hear from you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, Don't go here. Where should people be going in case they come to Blog Talk? They're going to need to go where? Let's remind them to okay. get the podcast. Okay. You can get it at iTunes, of course. Uh, or you can also go to Samson Society. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. SamsonSociety.net. Yes, absolutely. SamsonSociety.net or at samsonsociety.podbean.com. You can also get us on Stitcher and listen to us on your smartphone, your dumb phone, whatever you got. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Our email email address is, uh, we've got two of them, samsonpodcast at gmail.com or piratemonkradio at gmail.com. Love to hear your stories. Uh, love to hear your questions, your comments. Okay, is that it, Aaron, or you got more you want to cover? You may sign off. Okay, all right. All right, well, for the absent new, for our executive producer, Jay Spiegel, for our engineer, Mondo, for our co-host, and, yeah, I think really genuine top macho, Aaron, this is Nate Marks, and see you next week here. Pirate. Put your hands up. Recovery. Say what?